1: Thank you. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I had just moved to the Ozarks and it was a crisp October afternoon. After work, I decided to head out for a quick bow hunt eager to explore my new surroundings. The air was cool and refreshing, the perfect conditions for an impromptu adventure. As darkness fell, I climbed down from my perch and began making my way up the ridge to walk out. Suddenly, I heard the most god-awful guttural bellows coming from deep within the holler. It sounded like it was only three hundred yards away at most. Being a man of reason, I sat down and tried to process what I was hearing. I went through the list of possibilities. Cat, no bear. No hog, no. Owl, no. Owl, no. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I quickly made my way to my truck. When I got home, my wife could see the confusion written all over my face. I told her what I heard, and together we did some research, looking up various animal noises. After searching Big Cat Moaning, I came across a video of an African lion caroling on the Serengeti. I exclaimed, That's the sound I heard, my wife asked. Do mountain lions do that? Of course, I didn't think so. We lost interest in our search and decided to just Google Arkansas mountain lions. To our surprise, a video popped up featuring a big cat preserve. That's when it dawned on me. I pulled up the cat preserve on the map and found it was just under two miles from where I'd been hunting. I realized that I had, in fact, been hearing African lions caroling after sundown. We've since gone to the preserve and watched the lions perform their caroling in person. It's incredibly loud. Now, whenever I hear them, I chuckle thinking about the time. I thought I'd have to finally admit that all those guys on the Discovery Channel were right about Bigfoot. The town of Willowbrook, nestled peacefully in the heart of the countryside, was my home. Its quiet, charm, and serene atmosphere had always made my nightly patrols feel more like a leisurely drive through a familiar landscape. Crime was a rare occurrence, an anomaly that seemed out of place in this idyllic community. My shifts consisted of cruising through the deserted streets, exchanging friendly nods with the few late-night workers and occasionally assisting lost tourists in finding their way. One frigid winter night, however, would shatter this sense of normalcy and forever alter my perception of our peaceful town. I was driving down the dimly lit main street, my mind wandering as I watched the snowflakes fall gently to the ground. That's when it happened. A fleeting movement caught my peripheral vision. A shadow darting between the buildings. Instinct and duty kicked in immediately. I made a swift U, turn and followed the path the figure had taken. "'As I parked my cruiser and stepped out into the biting cold, "'the mist of my breath mingled with the frosty air. "'Willowbrook had taken on an eerie stillness, "'accentuated by the blanket of snow "'that coated the ground like a pristine white sheet. "'The hush seemed to amplify the crunch of my footsteps. "'As I followed the trail, "'the trail led me to an old abandoned factory "'at the outskirts of town. "'The building was notorious for its haunted reputation.' A hot spot for daredevils and teenagers who dared each other to venture inside. My flashlight sliced through the darkness, revealing broken windows, rusted machinery, and walls adorned with graffiti that had faded into obscurity. Then a muffled cry pierced the silence, reaching my ears like a whisper in the wind. My heart quickened its pace as I moved forward, driven by an inexplicable urgency. The labyrinthine corridors seemed to stretch endlessly, evoking a sense of unease that pricked at my nerves. Finally, I ascended a decrepit staircase that led to the upper floors of the building. The cries grew louder, echoing off the decaying walls. With every step, my flashlight's beam illuminated the peeling paint. In cracked plaster, I entered a room suffused with pale moonlight filtering through a cracked window. And there, in the corner of that moonlit room, I found her. A young girl, huddled and shivering. Her clothes were tattered, her eyes wide with fear. Slowly I approached, my voice gentle as I sought to reassure her trembling form. Her lips moved, forming words that barely reached my ears. He's still here. Before I could react, the room plunged into darkness. The flashlight's beam flickered and died, leaving us engulfed in a pitch black void. My heart hammered in my chest as I drew my service weapon and reached for my radio, calling for backup. But instead of voices, static was the only response that crackled through the airwaves. Whispers, disjointed haunting whispers, seemed to emanate from all directions. Panic threatened to consume me, but I couldn't falter now. Unseen figures seemed to close in around us, the darkness pressing closer. I reached out, my fingers finding the girl's trembling hand. My touch offered reassurance, a lifeline in the suffocating abyss. In that inky void, the girl's voice trembled as she confessed. He never left this place. The weight of those words hung heavy in the air, a chilling confirmation of the unseen threat that surrounded us. But then, like a beacon in the dark, a flicker of light pierced the gloom. The sound of sirens cut through the whispers, growing louder until the room was awash in red and blue. Backup officers streamed in, their flashlights sweeping over the room. The oppressive whispers subsided, replaced by the reassuring sounds of concerned voices and the echoing of footsteps. In the aftermath, the puzzle slowly unraveled. The girl, missing for a year, had been held captive by an individual who had made the abandoned factory his hideaway. He had manipulated the building's eerie reputation to his advantage, using it to shield his sinister actions. As the sun rose over Willowbrook, the town's facade of peacefulness remained intact. Yet I knew the truth. The haunting reputation of that old factory had been forever transformed by a real story of survival and bravery officer rachel martinez the one who patrolled the quiet nights had faced down the darkness and emerged victorious the town's serenity was no longer a facade, but a testament to the unwavering dedication of those who stood guard in the shadows On a particular day in June 2021, my friend and I rode our bikes to the Monongahela River near our community of Brownsville, south of Pittsburgh in Fayette County. We followed a dirt road towards the river and then cut through the forest about 500 feet along a hollow. We had some rope and attached it to a tree, lowering ourselves into the hollow. It was dense, dark, and devoid of trails. As we approached a large down tree, We saw a brown, hoop shaped, hairy figure about fifty feet ahead, but couldn't identify what it was. We thought it might be a sleeping, injured, or dead bear. Deciding it was best to leave, we turned to walk away. That's when the creature slowly stood up on two feet, towering at least two feet taller than us. It was muscular, with long, sloping shoulders and long arms. Its face was turned away so we couldn't see it, fearful and unsure of what it would do. We hesitated. Suddenly, the creature took off, running through the brush in a zigzag pattern, loudly crashing through the vegetation. We watched it disappear, still hearing it run through the brush. We turned and ran in the opposite direction, hearing it behind us, but not feeling pursued. Reaching the rope, we quickly pulled ourselves out of the hollow and sprinted to our bikes. Shocked by our encounter, we concluded it was most likely a Sasquatch. We told our friends we had seen something in the hollow but couldn't identify it and decided to return with three of them a week later. We lowered ourselves back into the hollow and found the large down tree. We noticed a large area of matted grass and ferns where we had seen the creature stand. Deer bones scattered about and a few large human, like footprints in the soft earth. After examining the area for five, ten minutes, we heard a deep guttural grunt from the thick woods. The sound was unlike anything we'd ever heard before, and we felt it was a warning. We quickly left the area and haven't returned since. Growing up, my best friend lived in a house with a large backyard that bordered the woods. It was a perfect place for us to explore, play, and let our imaginations run wild. One summer, We decided to take our adventures to the next level by camping out behind his house. We eagerly set up our tent, stocked it with snacks, and prepared for a night of ghost stories and laughter. As dusk settled in, we gathered around a small campfire, our faces lit by the flickering flames. We took turns telling scary stories, each one more spine-chilling than the last. Despite the eerie tales we shared, we felt safe knowing that my friend's house was just a short sprint away. Eventually we crawled into our tent, our bellies full of marshmallows and our minds buzzing with excitement. We whispered to each other the darkness surrounding us like a thick, comforting blanket. Just as we began to drift off to sleep, an ear-splitting screech shattered the stillness of the night. The sound was unlike anything we had ever heard before. It was as if someone were dragging two pieces of metal together, ...producing a noise so terrifying that it made our hands tremble and our hearts race. We exchanged wide-eyed glances, the fear in our eyes mirroring each other's. Neither of us wanted to be the first to unzip the tent, but we knew we had to get to the safety of the house. With our hearts pounding in our chests, I mustered the courage to pull back the zipper, revealing the inky blackness beyond... We scrambled out of the tent and bolted towards the house, our legs pumping furiously as we tried to outrun whatever creature had made that horrifying sound. Once we were inside, we slammed the door behind us, our breathing ragged and our bodies slick with sweat. Despite the relative safety of the house, we couldn't shake the fear that something was still out there, waiting to come crashing through the window and snatch us away. We huddled together our eyes darting between the windows and the locked door, as we tried to convince ourselves that it was probably just a cougar or a mountain lion. Though such animals were rare in our area, the thought provided some small comfort as we clung to each other in the darkness. The night passed slowly, each creak and groan of the house making us jump in fear. As the first light of dawn finally broke through the curtains, we exhaled a collective sigh of relief grateful to have survived the night. Years later, the memory of that terrifying screech still haunts us. Though we never discovered the true source of the sound, the experience remains etched in our minds, a chilling reminder of the unknown lurking in the shadows. This event happened to me and a friend I had invited to go hunting one afternoon. He was from out of town, and we were in southern Louisiana, in an area with thick woods and tall palmettos. To reach our deer stands, we had to walk through waist-deep water, making the mile-long trek slow and challenging. My friend wasn't used to this terrain, but managed to keep up. I helped him climb up to the first deer stand, which was 15 feet off the ground and told him I'd pick him up half an hour after dark since my stand was half a mile further. The full moon reflecting off the water allowed us to hunt for a bit longer. When it became too dark to see, I climbed down from my deer stand and started walking slowly towards my friend. As I approached his stand, I shined my light up and noticed he wasn't there. I shined the light on the ground, and there he was, leaning against the tree. Strangely, he didn't respond to me, calling his name. When I got closer and asked if he was ready to leave, he finally turned his head to look at me. His eyes were rolled back, his mouth wide open, and he appeared possessed, scared. I slapped his face, and he snapped back to himself. He just wanted to leave, so I made him walk in front of me all the way back to the truck. We drove away in silence. When I asked him what happened, he started crying and explained that while he was on the stand, he heard something coming through the water and moving the palmettos. When it got close, he saw a man who looked like he had been skinned alive. Terrified, he climbed down and hid under the stand against the tree. A week later, my cousin told me about a tour he took at a nearby Indian memorial. The guide explained that a local tribe used to skin men alive and release them into the woods as punishment for severe crimes. My friend, who wasn't familiar with this area, couldn't have known about this practice. Did he see a ghost of one of these Indians who was skinned alive years ago? I don't know, but I'll never forget the state my friend was in that night in the woods. For years, I had heard stories of strange happenings at a Fit Yusaf base in Nebraska, where I worked as a trooper. I never put much stock in ghost stories or paranormal occurrences, but that all changed one fateful evening. It had been an uneventful day, with clear skies and a gentle breeze. As the sun dipped below the horizon, I decided to take a walk around the base. I strolled past the barracks, the mess hall, and the training facilities, eventually making my way to an old, disused building. It was said to be the epicenter of the ghostly happenings. As I entered the musty, dimly lit structure, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. The air was thick with tension, and the shadows seemed to dance on the walls. I walked further into the building, my footsteps echoing through the empty halls. As I turned a corner... I noticed something strange, a dark figure perched in rafters above me. It was eerily still, and as I stared at it, the figure vanished into thin air. I shook my head, chalking it up to a trick of the light, and continued my walk. Moments later I encountered another figure, this one standing in a doorway. It seemed to be wearing an old military uniform, its features obscured by darkness. I called out to it, thinking it might be someone playing a prank, but as I approached, the figure disappeared through the locked door, leaving me dumbstruck. Feeling my heart race, I cautiously continued through the building, trying to make sense of what I had just witnessed. The air grew thick with the unmistakable scent of cigar smoke, a smell I would later learn was associated with the ghost of a former base commander who had died in a fire. The scent grew stronger as I ventured further into the darkness. Suddenly I felt a hand on my shoulder, causing me to jump. Whirling around, I came face to face with another soldier named Mark. He had been stationed at the base for years and was well acquainted with the ghostly tales. He had seen me enter the building and, knowing its reputation, had come to check on me. I stammered out an explanation of the strange things they had seen expecting Mark to laugh at my wild imagination instead he nodded solemnly confirming that he too had experienced inexplicable events within the building's walls we left the building together the weight of the paranormal experiences heavy on our minds from that day on i couldn't deny the ghostly presence at a foot usaf base Mark and I became close friends, and we would often find ourselves discussing the supernatural occurrences and sharing stories of our encounters with the unknown. The base held many secrets, and I couldn't help but wonder how many more mysteries lay hidden within its walls. Despite my initial skepticism, the ghostly happenings at our foot Yusuf Base had become an undeniable part of my life and my work as a trooper. I was looking out my bedroom window across my backyard with a backdrop of a forest. I had a rabbit cage at the border to the forest adjacent to our work shed, roughly forty feet away. I witnessed a six-foot-tall white rabbit with a dark vest facing the door to my pet rabbit's gauge. I went into shock as I was beginning to be skeptical of such things as the Easter Bunny as I was aging out of the concept. I couldn't believe my eyes. I maintained a visual of the rabbit and pinched and slapped myself so hard to try and wake myself up. The pain confirmed I was not dreaming. I rubbed my eyes. The giant rabbit was still there. I threw open the single pane window which led to the backyard facing the rabbit cage. I yelled at the rabbit, Hey, I see you. I tried to volley up into the window to leap out and run to the rabbit in my tidy white kid's underwear, but couldn't make it up out the window. "'It turned, looked at me, and took a series of bounds at high speed into the forest. "'I called my little brother, and he had arrived at the window "'as the giant rabbit disappeared into the Douglas firs. "'I woke my parents and even a neighbor. "'I quizzed them as to a possible Easter costume, "'but I knew no one could make leaps at that speed, "'nor have such a detailed costume, and why run for that matter? "'They all had a good laugh at my expense.' I explored my pet rabbit's cage and surroundings as well as the forest soon after trying to get a sense of what occurred. No tracks, no trace evidence was left behind. The memory haunts me to this day because of the absurdity of the situation. For some reason, I thought I would Google this strange experience, such as the one I had observed in my youth as it stands out in my mind to this day your witness's story came up in my feed and i have goosebumps as i write this i am in disbelief and a little embarrassed but feel compelled to tell you my story because this is beyond coincidence and indicates something bigger is going on currently i am a retired police officer and forensic artist residing in central british columbia i have witnessed strange things in my life and career but this childhood memory was so strange and not a hallucination. It feels like a relief to recount it, embarrassing or not. Thanks for your time. So I went camping with my friend Alex to Crow Flat, Oregon. As I exited the Crow Flat new washroom, I noticed something strange happening. A small herd of deer was running as fast as they could, heading east towards my friend Alex and me. I quickly looked around to see what had spooked them, and my eyes caught something unusual. A large black biped was moving parallel to the meadow in the west. At first I thought it was a bear, but as I focused on it, I realized that it was not. It was too tall and too human, like to be a bear. As it noticed us, it increased its pace and started moving faster towards us. I gestured to Alex to keep quiet and keep an eye on the creature as I made my way towards where I had seen it. I could feel my heart pounding as I tried to be as quiet as possible, not knowing what I was getting myself into. When I finally reached the spot where I had seen the creature, the ground was fluffy and dusty and it held very faint tracks about fifteen or sixteen inches long and about six or seven inches wide i knew that i had to investigate further so i called my friend jack a navy seal to come and help us jack arrived shortly and we set out to track the creature we followed the trucks for miles and just when we were about to give up we saw it again this time it was standing still and we could see it more clearly it was at least seven feet tall with broad shoulders and muscular arms It had long, shaggy hair covering its body, and its eyes glowed in the dark. Jack immediately took out his binoculars and started observing the creature. As we watched, it suddenly turned around and started moving towards us. Jack quickly took out his gun and aimed it at the creature, ready to fire. But before he could do anything, the creature suddenly vanished into thin air. We were left standing there, stunned and bewildered. We spent hours discussing what we had just witnessed, trying to make sense of it all. It was unlike anything we had ever seen before, and we were both convinced that it was not of this world. We decided to keep our encounter a secret, not wanting to cause panic or alarm among the locals. Years later, Jack and I still talk about that night, wondering what could have happened if we had engaged in a confrontation with the creature. We may never know what it was, but we know that it was an experience that we will never forget. A few weeks ago, my buddy and I decided to go elk hunting in an area with a lot of bear sign. There were poop and trees that were all scratched up. We decided to spike camp in some timber. I slept on the ground while my buddy slept in a hammock. In the middle of the night, I woke up to something walking around outside my tarp. At first, I didn't think much of it, so I listened to it, milling around for a bit before falling back asleep. The next morning, I asked my buddy if he had heard anything walking around. He told me that something had actually walked into his hammock. He heard it approaching, and then it hit the strap on his hammock before moving off. We weren't sure what it was, but it was definitely unsettling. It was more unsettling for my buddy than it was for me. We both knew that there were bears in the area, but we couldn't be sure if that was what we heard. It was a little nerve-wracking, but we continued with our hunting trip. We made sure to be extra cautious and alert, keeping an eye out for any potential dangers. Thankfully, nothing else happened for the remainder of our trip, and we both returned home safely. I drove south on Pine Grove Road and pulled into a spot near Laurel Lake, parked my truck, and got out. I hiked into the nearest woods along an unmarked trail. I carry a rather large revolver and a shoulder holster for self-defense. As I was about to sit down on a stump, I unzipped my coat and placed my hand in my gun to check it as it felt shifted. The second I put my hand on it all, hell broke loose. There was a loud crashing sound of branches breaking, and something heavy hit the ground. I turned and lost my footing and fell to the ground. As I lay there, something ran past me. I not only heard it, I could feel it in the ground. Leaves were falling all around me. I got to my feet, looking all around. But there was nothing I could see, and I quickly left. I hiked back to the parking lot, jumped in my truck, and moved to a different place in the park near Fuller Lake. I went to a picnic table and sat down trying to figure out what just happened. It was about two hours later when, as I'm sitting there thinking I heard the sound of about five or six large trees breaking in half and then a splash in the water. I cannot emphasize enough how loud this was. It sounded like a Mack truck crashing through the woods and into the lake next to me. I jumped up looking around and there was nothing. There were three people around me and no one reacted not even a dog nearby. I was the only one that heard it, from what I've recently read. These things can read your mind and project thoughts and images and sounds to you. Thinking back on it, I believe when I put my hand on my gun, something jumped out of that tree and ran like hell, and as strange as it sounds, it was invisible. Then it followed me and projected a sound to scare me back. The main reason I believe it was a Sasquatch is that there are tree bends and branch formations in many parts of the park. All of them are perfectly aligned to the north and south. People may never report them there, but I think they are very much there. I had always been fascinated by the unknown. The woods, the creatures that might lurk within them, and the mysteries of the supernatural had always captured my imagination. As a child, I spent countless hours exploring the forest, boating on the lake and camping with my friends. Despite all the time I spent in the woods, I had never really experienced anything out of the ordinary. That is, until the day I met Police Officer Doyle. It was a beautiful summer afternoon, and I decided to take a hike in the woods behind my house. I had been walking for a couple of hours when suddenly the atmosphere changed. The woods went eerily quiet, and I felt an overwhelming sense of dread wash over me. My gut instincts were telling me to leave, so I turned around and hurried back the way I came. As I made my way out of the woods, I stumbled upon Officer Doyle. He was standing at the edge of the forest, a look of concern etched across his face. He asked me if I was all right and if I had seen or heard anything unusual. I hesitated, not sure if I should share my experience with him. But something about his kind eyes and genuine concern made me trust him, so I opened up about the unnerving silence and the fear I felt. Officer Doyle nodded, as if he had heard similar stories before. He told me that he had been investigating strange occurrences in these woods for years. Sightings of creatures, strange lights, and unexplained phenomena were not uncommon, but the townsfolk were often too scared or skeptical to talk about them. Officer Doyle, however, believed that there was more to these stories than mere superstition. I listened intently as he shared his own experiences with the unexplained, including a close encounter with what he believed to be Bigfoot. He explained that he had once been a skeptic himself, but after witnessing the impossible, he became a staunch advocate for the existence of the supernatural. Officer Doyle's stories and his passion for seeking the truth inspired me to rethink my own beliefs. I realized that I had no right to dismiss the experiences of others, especially when I had felt that inexplicable fear myself, Our conversation that day sparked a friendship that would last for years as we continued to explore the unknown together. As I look back on my experiences and the people I've met, I'm grateful for Officer Doyle and the day I listened to my gut instincts. It opened up a whole new world of possibilities and made me question everything I thought I knew. And by sharing our stories, we not only gave credibility to the subject, but also found solace in knowing that we were not alone in our experiences. One of my favorite things about living in Washington is the eeriness of its forests. I, 28 female, have had a few weird experiences here, but one of the creepiest happened, like an hour away from Offutt Lake in Covington. You got me with a where-high user because I would always pass where-high user on the way to the home of a guy. 30 mail, I was seeing. It was 3 a.m., and we were outside with a dog letting her conduct a business transaction and smoking a cigarette. I had started this routine because I would have a hard time sleeping at his house. He would come outside with me most of the time, but if he didn't, I would be okay alone on the front porch with a pooch. My ex-boyfriend walks over to the other side of the driveway towards the trash cans, and I'm trying to get the dog to the grass. She will not move a muscle, and is shaking a little, looking straight ahead. I stop and look in the same direction. At the same time, we hear a loud laugh, unlike any I have heard before. The best way I could describe it is if you imagine this laugh was the source of all evil, like it's mocking you. But it's more disturbing than that, even because it sounds inhuman, and it was deep. The length of the laugh was like a haw and abruptly stopped. We freeze and look at each other, trying to comprehend what we just heard. It echoed as if the sky was the source of this horrible sound. We never heard anything like that again, but I feel once was too much. We were sober and aware at time. If I was alone, it would be easier to brush off as my imagination. The fact that the dog reacted a second before it happened and knew the direction. And my ex-boyfriend had a similar reaction as me to the sound reinforces the reality that disturbing laugh did occur. Washington can get weird. There's one spot in Tucker, Georgia that never fails to give me chills. John's homestead. This old vacant farmhouse sits in disarray alongside a busy highway, surrounded by a few acres of woods, two-century old churches and old cemeteries. It's a strange patch of land that feels disconnected from the bustling urban communities around it. The history of the place is vague. All I know is that the landowner's name was John Johns, and an old photo of him shows a stern, unhappy man. The property has always creeped me out, but curiosity kept pulling me back. I visited the homestead a few times, and each time I felt as if I was being watched. The atmosphere was heavy and unsettling, but I couldn't help wanting to explore the old house and its surroundings. On my last visit, I arrived just before dark. The walk to the house was uneventful and I found myself at the chain-link fence that surrounded the crumbling structure, which had been deemed structurally unsafe. The inside of the house appeared pitch black, even though the doors and windows didn't seem to be completely boarded up. Suddenly I realized that darkness was falling quickly, and the familiar feeling of unease began to wash over me. I decided to leave and started walking back towards the trail. Just as I re-entered the wooded area, I heard a loud thud. My first thought was that a tree limb had fallen, but the sound wasn't accompanied by any snaps or cracks. I hesitated for a moment before continuing towards my car, the darkness now almost complete. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off about this place. A few days later, I read in the news that human remains had been found just a few feet from where I had heard the noise. The county never released any details about the identity of the body or what had happened, even after a year had passed. So many questions remain unanswered. What's so special about this particular crumbling house? Why has this small stretch of woods remained undeveloped? What did I hear that night, and who was found dead? The mystery of John's homestead continues to haunt me, And I can't help but wonder if there's something more to this eerie patch of land than meets the eye. As the urban landscape continues to encroach on this small, seemingly forgotten corner of Tucker, the secrets hidden within its shadows may never be revealed. I'm a park ranger in the state of New Hampshire and I've heard countless stories of strange sightings and unexplainable events in the forests and lakes of this area. But I always approach these stories with a skeptical mind, dismissing them as mere illusions or overactive imaginations. That is, until I met a young man who shared his own encounter with me. He was twenty, two years old, from southern Massachusetts and he had visited his grandfather's lake house on Pine River Pond in New Hampshire with his cousins Elise and Paige when he was 16. Late one night, they decided to walk to the cabin when they came across a tall white figure that ran across the dirt road in front of them. The young man was initially scared speechless, but his cousin Elise screamed loudly in terror. Despite his logical and skeptical mind, he couldn't deny the feeling of being watched the entire night with the hairs on the back of his neck standing on end. He later discovered that other people had similar sightings in the area, and he found it eerie and fascinating. He even requested screenshots of his conversation with Elise to keep as evidence of their experience. As a park ranger, I couldn't simply dismiss this story as an overactive imagination or hallucination. Instead, It sparked my curiosity and made me wonder about the mysteries and wonders of the natural world. I've since started to keep an open mind and to listen to the stories of those who have encountered strange phenomena. Who knows what other secrets and mysteries lay hidden in the forests and lakes of New Hampshire? I remember the day my cousin called me to come help pack out a buck he had killed at our deer camp, deep in the woods, about five miles from the trailhead. I loaded up my polarias and made my way to the trailhead. Here I saw two men donning their packs and preparing to head in. I exchanged greetings and quickly made my way to camp. After successfully packing out the meat, we made our way back to the trailhead, where we noticed one of the men, the younger one, sitting alone on his tailgate. He approached us and struck up a conversation about the hunt, but then he asked us a strange question. He asked if we had seen an older man on our way back, explaining that his father had dementia and he had lost sight of him while hiking. I couldn't help but wonder why the son would let his father out of his sight in the first place. Nevertheless, we had a long drive ahead of us and we were physically exhausted, so we offered to contact someone when we got cell service. The man declined, and we headed home. Later that night, at 10 p.m., an alert from one of our cell cameras came through. It was a picture of the missing older man, nowhere near the area where the son claimed to have lost sight of him. I immediately called the sheriff's office and was put in contact with the search and rescue team leader. They asked if I could come back up and hike in with them to the location of the camera. I felt terrible for not helping earlier, but I knew I had to do something. I loaded back up and headed back to the trailhead. It was freezing cold, but the search and rescue team had a helicopter with a thermal camera and about twenty people on the ground searching for the missing man. I was about two miles from the trailhead when I ran into an officer with the son and the old man. They had just found him because he had followed a creek down and ended up near the forest road. He had traveled about 18 miles and had only a phone with him, which he had put on airplane mode to save battery. It was a long day, but thankfully the man was found and reunited with his family. I couldn't help but feel guilty for not helping earlier, but I was glad I could help in some way. It's a reminder to always be vigilant and lend a helping hand when needed. My friend and I went to a holiday party about a year back, and we had an early morning meeting for a volunteer event the following day. It was around 12.1 a.m. when we decided to leave the party, but my friend realized that she forgot to buy drinks for the meeting in the morning. Not wanting her to have to wake up earlier than she had to, I offered to drive her to a nearby grocery store that happened to be open late. On the way there, we realized that it was super quiet, and there wasn't any other cars around, which is pretty typical if it would have been a weekday, but it was a Saturday, and usually Saturdays, are busy until 3 a.m. in our city. Nonetheless, we drove on and reached the store. As we drove in, we saw a lady literally appear seemingly out of nowhere, dancing around in a very free-looking way. I don't really know how to describe her outfit other than almost pirate-like. There were pieces of cloth hanging off of her outfit. Her face was pale white with dark but neat eye makeup, and her hair looked like it might have been really big dreadlocks with more cloth, or maybe even feathers tied into it. We quickly pulled into a far parking spot, well away from her, and practically sprinted into the store. And when we looked back, she was gone. Not sure if this matters, but I figured I would include the ambience of the store as well, in case this is a cross-dimensional experience. The lights were dim with some flickering, and when we first walked in, there was a couple, about middle-aged, and I think the woman was pregnant, if I remember correctly, whispering to, seemingly, the only employee. When they spotted us, they stopped talking and watched us walk down the juice aisle. Needless to say, my friend said she changed her mind and wanted to leave. When we first stepped out, we both happened to look to our left and saw the woman. From earlier, standing still at the opposite end of the parking lot, we immediately booked it to my car, got in, and locked the doors. But when I tried to start it, it wouldn't. I had just bought the car a couple of weeks prior from a certified dealership, and the car never had and still never has to this day given me issues. Luckily, after a few turns of the key, my car started and we left. In my rear-view mirror, the end danced towards my car again, but it was almost as though she was sprinting because she was moving so quick towards us. Once we made it back over the hill towards our homes, it was as though every single car that should have been on the other side of the hill appeared, and the town was as busy as usual. I still have no idea who, what we saw but I know very well that there was no way that what we experienced was natural of this world. If anyone has opinions on what creature or entity we saw that night, please share. As much as I'm still scared of that incident, I am anxious to know what we experienced. It was a warm evening in the early 90s when my dad and his best friend headed out to a drop camp for elk hunting in Washington State. The tent had already been set up, and they were a few miles away from civilization. The tent was an aisle frame, with two separate rooms divided by tent material. They never zipped up either room to keep the air flowing, and the breeze was just right. They had been surrounded by elk on the first evening of their arrival, but the next four days there was not a sight or sound of an elk. On the last night, they were lying in their cots in the back room, and it was pitch black outside. My dad woke up without knowing why and heard a scraping noise coming from the front room, as if a stick was coming through the tent side. He could see his friend sitting up on his cot, and a backpack full of gear came flying through the curtain doors and rode in between them. The backpack had roughly 30, 35 pounds of gear and rolled six feet after hitting the floor. My father and his friends sat on their cots with arrows knocked and pointing at the curtain walls. They were both unarmed except for their bows. My father was scared and couldn't understand how he didn't hear anything. The forest was dead silent until the birds started chirping in the morning. My father never hunted in that area again. The incident had left him traumatized. The fact that something could come in undetected and throw a backpack without making any sound was unsettling. They had experienced something otherworldly and unexplainable. I am a a young tribeswoman of the Native American tribe who have lived in the shadow of the majestic mountain for generations. Our lives have been peaceful, governed by the wisdom of our elders, and the harmony we share with the land. But lately, a dark cloud has fallen upon our tribe. We have been plagued by a series of unexplained and brutal animal attacks, leaving us terrified and questioning our place in this world. The elders believe that these attacks were the work of a mysterious and powerful, unknown predator lurking in the dark corners of the land. And so... I was chosen to investigate this phenomenon and put an end to the terror that haunted our people. As I delved deeper into the mystery, I ventured far from our village and into the heart of the wilderness. There I uncovered an ancient tribal legend of a shadowy creature that could control the minds of animals, turning them into deadly weapons. This horrifying revelation shook me to my core but I knew I had to return to my tribe and share what I'd discovered. However, when I finally returned to the village, my heart shattered into a thousand pieces. My tribe had been destroyed, and my family, along with everyone I'd ever known, was dead. The grief was unbearable, but I couldn't let the sorrow consume me. I had to find the unknown predator that had caused so much pain and suffering. But as I searched far and wide, the creature remained elusive as if it was a ghost that had vanished into thin air. I knew, though, that I couldn't give up. I had to avenge my family and my people, and I would not rest until I had found the beast and put an end to its reign of terror. As the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months, I continued my relentless pursuit, but the unknown predator remained out of reach, hidden in the shadows one day as i sat on a cliff overlooking the setting sun i made a solemn vow to myself and to the spirits of my lost tribe i would never give up i would continue my quest for revenge and one day i would find the creature that had brought so much darkness to our land and so with the memory of my family and my people burning brightly within my heart i set off into the fading light Determined to fan the unknown predator and restore balance to our world. For I am awry, the last of my tribe, and I will not rest until justice has been served. I've got a strange story to share that happened at the United States, Army base at the Presidio in San Francisco, California. It was about the sighting of a human-like creature walking on all fours with pointed ears and fangs. I remember walking back to my quarters around 2.30 a.m. when I heard some strange sounds coming from the nearby forest. As I looked over, I saw what appeared to be a naked man with glowing eyes hunched over right by the edge of the trees. But it wasn't until this humanoid creature began walking on all fours that I realized something was not right about the situation. This was no man, I realized. I watched as the creature jumped over a five-foot fence with ease before disappearing into the forest. It was about six feet tall, had pointy ears, and long fangs protruding from its mouth. I thought the story would end there, but a few hours later, there were two more reports of the same humanoid creature sighted around the same area. My fellow officers told a very similar story of a strange figure crossing the road right in front of their vehicles. This is where it gets interesting. That particular road was open to only army personnel, so this means something from outside the base had somehow gotten in the forest. Another officer told a strikingly similar story about seeing this werewolf-like figure walking on all fours and jumping over a locked gate to get past it. We can't be sure of what exactly we saw, but there really is no other explanation than something very strange was roaming around the Presidio that night. I don't want to speculate about what this creature was, but I do admit it would be hard for somebody in the area to have an exotic pet without anybody knowing, since it's so vast and remote, with many places for animals or people to hide. Whatever was out there is, unfortunately, no longer around, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Hopefully, somebody gets a good look at this thing the next time it decides to make an appearance. I was deer hunting, seated on my stand at ground level, facing generally north. This field is 20 acres tractor mowed. I was near the upper middle near a large rock and cherry tree. This entity was first seen with naked eyes. Thought it might be light and leaves playing tricks on my sight. The oak and beech brush still had their leaves. Sometimes this can happen when you are out all day in 18 Fahrenheit temps. I then observed it with 10 by 50 binoculars. It was still there. I noted that the area was very quiet. No birds or other normal outside sound. My observation lasted about six minutes. I carry a field notebook as we are very active birders. I sketched what I saw and noted colors and size. No snow, little wind, 18 degrees Fahrenheit. The entity appeared very solid and I observed no movable joints. It never moved. The legs looked like stovepipe, six inches diameter. The arms were the same, terminated in rounded ends, no digits. Ends were even with crotch. The body was also round, about 14 inches in diameter. The head looked like a round bottom bucket turned upside down. About as tall as the body was wide, 14 inches. In the area where the eyes would be was a black shiny area, 3 inches wide and stretching across the front. Overall height was over 9 feet. It was standing in weeds and goldenrod. I could not see the feet. I never saw it arrive and it departed while I was scanning for deer. If it had stayed there, I would have tried to approach it. I had no fear and lots of questions. I would like to know if other folks have observed similar entities and where. As soon as I turned 18, my parents demanded that I got a job. When three months passed, I was still unemployed. They went out and did it for me. I got hired at my family's ranger business, supplied places with rangers, and we'd go out and protect the park for however long the rangers' owners could pay. I started in early winter. I was cold all the time. The job I was working at did not start until about nine at night, or at least my ship didn't. I had to work until nine in the morning, twelve hours, five days a week. The pay was all right. It was my first day at a new park it was a ski resort and they had hired rangers to act as security we weren't really as qualified but my family didn't have the greatest moral compass so to speak i started my shift i talked with a little guy at the front he said it was slow not much happening i was glad to hear this sitting inside and doing nothing for 12 hours that's what i'd normally be doing anyway i went inside and met the guy i'd be working with we'll call him freddie He was reading the paper and drinking coffee. First day, he had asked. Well, I never worked at this place before, but I've been working with Tony for quite a while. It's a good business, I trust him, he responded with a little chuckle and went back to sipping his coffee. Nothing happened for a couple of hours. We sat back and relaxed. It talked about our lives and even got into a funny conversation about my uncle. About three hours in, we heard a loud banging at the door. Freddy got up to open it. There was nothing there aside from a trail in the snow leading to the door. There wasn't much we could think about it. Maybe a bird or an animal. I don't know, Freddy said, getting back to a seat. I thought it was a bit weird for a bird to slam into the door fast enough to make a bang that loud and still somehow get back up and walk out of sight. I didn't say anything. I just shrugged. Whatever. After even more sitting and talking, Freddy got up and said that he was going to use the bathroom. He jokingly asked if I could hold on the fort, then went outside to use the restroom. I leaned back in my chair, quietly singing a Billy Joel song that had been stuck in my head, when Freddy basically kicked the door in, holding his hand. It was cut up and bleeding badly. I did not think to ask questions, so I shot up, "'Ran to the first aid cabinet, grabbing the wrap, and put it around his arm. "'What happened out there?' I'd ask him. "'He looked at my eyes and opened his mouth. "'There was another super-loud bang on the door. "'I rushed to the door and locked it. "'I didn't know what was out there, "'but I did not feel like waiting for it to realize the door was open. "'Freddie was screaming in pain. "'I wrapped his wounds, but it wouldn't keep up forever. "'I went over to the phone. I picked it up. "'It called an ambulance.' I explained that something attacked my co-worker. They asked what. I told them I don't know, and they gave me a half-assed. We'll send somebody, and I hung up. They asked to stand in line with him, but I didn't see how that would stop Freddy from bleeding out. Freddy slumped down, leaning against the table in the room. I slapped his face slightly to keep him awake. Freddy? Who did this? He cleaned his eyes and couldn't be bothered to keep his head any more. He was out. His cut was worse than I thought, and the ambulance needed to come very quickly. As I put a blanket on him, another loud bang at the window made me jump. I looked back, and there was a bloody hand on the window. It was a man, and he was begging to be let in. I ran over to the door and unlocked it. I went to the side where he was at, and I didn't see him. Did he run around? I looked down, and my jaw dropped. Right where he was standing was a trail of blood in the stand going around the wall. I broke out of my shock, turning the corner, and there were the culprits and just one wolf, but I know he wasn't the only one there. We both stood there looking at each other. He snarled and I gulped. I knew the time it took me to get the door was a lot less than it took him to get to me. I didn't want to risk it, just in case. I kept standing there. He took a step back. Maybe he's leaving. I thought to calm myself down, but he did not leave. He took a step back, and, knowing what was coming, I ran to the door. He stopped. He lunged, biting into the flesh of my leg. I screamed out in pain, but at least he wasn't calling his pack, or so I thought. He started to tear flesh, and I foolishly attempted to shake him off. He was on there tight, ripping. I tried to push him off, but his teeth only sunk in deeper. Now I'd put my right hand between my leg and the roof of his mouth, prying his teeth, I limped inside, slammed the door shut. I could see him, these loud bone noises popping and seeing him now stand up on two legs, looking at me through the door. How I was lucky I'd survived. I wasn't sure what to do. I was bleeding out pretty bad, and the only gun I had was in my jeep that was left outside. That's when I saw more of these things. They were upright, walking wolves, and they were pacing around this place, moving back and forth, looking in the windows, waiting for one of us to come out. I sat there next to Freddy, holding him, holding myself, trying to keep myself conscious. I was bleeding pretty bad, and these things were out there. I counted at least three of them, three of the largest wolves I'd ever seen in my life. What was going on? As I remembered things starting to fade, I couldn't tell you what happened next but the door burst open, and several EMTs rushed in, attending myself and Freddy. They loaded me up on a stretcher, threw me in the ambulance, and the next thing I know, I'm being patched up. After this, I never heard from Freddy again, and I was quickly removed from that location and reassigned to a different one altogether. I was told nothing. I was not allowed to ask questions, and even now I live with a nightmare. A nightmare of strange wolves, very violent, and had I not made it back inside, I would have been torn to pieces. One, one, one. The sun was just beginning to set as I arrived at the ridge overlooking the lower Malala River. I was a cryptid investigator, and I had spent countless weekends exploring the wilderness, searching for evidence of unknown creatures. This particular weekend, I was intrigued by the recent reports of strange rapping noises coming from this area. As I set up my camp, I noticed an unsettling lack of game, especially considering it was hunting season. With my gear ready and a sense of anticipation building, I settled in for the night, listening carefully for any unusual sounds. As darkness enveloped the landscape, I suddenly heard it, a distinct rapping on a tree, not too far from my campsite. Excited, I grabbed a branch and began to rap out my own patterns in response. Over the course of fifteen minutes, I heard raps coming from three other locations, each with their unique patterns. A series of two raps, followed by a pause, and then three raps, transitioning from a slow to a fast beat. One of the sounds was oddly dull, as if it were made by pounding on a rotten log. Then, just as suddenly as they began, the rapping sound ceased. I continued to rap out my own patterns throughout the rest of the weekend and into Monday, but there was no further response. On my last day in the area, i decided to explore the surrounding woods and came across a park ranger named Lori. I told her about my experience with the rapping sounds and asked if she had any insights or theories. Well, Lori began... I've heard those rapping noises, too, and I've always wondered if it might be another hunter or a child playing around. But I've also considered the possibility that we might be communicating with an unknown species. It sounds like something straight out of Star Trek, doesn't it? We both laughed at the comparison, but the idea of communicating with a mysterious creature was both thrilling and unnerving. As I packed up my gear and prepared to leave the ridge, I couldn't help but feel a sense of wonder and curiosity. The rapping sounds remained unexplained, and the thought of an unknown predator lurking in the woods continued to haunt my imagination. As I drove away from the lower Malala River, I promised myself that I would return someday, hoping to unravel the mystery behind the rapping sounds and uncover the truth about the enigmatic creatures that may dwell within the depths of the forest. My grandfather told me the story about the eerie incident that made him quit being a ranger. My grandfather used to work to be a park ranger in Uganda and had many stories to tell us about misbehaving teenagers who thought it was funny to stay illegally in the park overnight, white supremacist tourists who think they could hunt any time, and even indigenous people who believe the land belonged to them. But this time he told me the story why he resigned from being a ranger as he thought it was old enough to hear this creepy story, and after hearing it, I'm thankful for him quitting, or else I probably wouldn't be here today. One day, he and his co-worker, we'll call him Sam, went out to patrol at night. As they were walking, they saw a very high, unusual amount of snake activity everywhere. Ignoring it, they continued on their job and they had heard multiple trumpets of elephants and saw many zebras running in no particular direction, just away from the place that he and his co-worker were going deeper into the depths of the forest. They assumed that it was somebody, possibly teenagers, causing trouble. This made them cautious and alert for danger. They continued going deeper in with their rifles loaded and lamps in front of them. Then they saw a blue shimmery light glowing in the shape of a circle in the forest. It looked to be like a portal. My grandfather had advised his co-worker to examine it. As Sam leaned in to touch it, he was immediately sucked in like a vacuum. Now I'm not relating Derek to trash, but who touches a portal? After waiting a few moments for Derek to come out, but as expected, he didn't. My grandfather ran away from the portal and towards the cabin of rangers. There, he shared this unnatural incident with the rest of the rangers who slept there. They collectively decided to go check it out the next morning. The next morning, they went to the same place when my grandfather saw the portal. There was no portal and no sign of Derek either. His co-workers then did not believe him and said that Derek must have slipped drugs and hallucinated the whole thing. My grandfather resigned after that. He did not want to see more supernatural incidents happening, and also did not want to die. And there was a huge cover-up that happened with Derek and him disappearing. Is he still alive in some alternate universe? Did he turn into something like a ghost? Is he dead? Nobody knows.